seated. We continue onward this morning in our study of the church, Church 101, the fundamentals of the church. We will be looking at Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So I encourage you to take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Last week in our study of the church, we began to look at what it means to be a means of grace people, a means of grace church. Our confession teaches the means of grace are the outward and ordinary means where Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. And they are his ordinances, especially the word, sacrament, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. So the means of grace are important to us because they're the means by which God has appointed the Holy Spirit to enable us to not only receive Christ, but to receive the gracious benefits of redemption. So he has given to us the word, the Bible, the sacraments of of the Lord's Supper and baptism and prayer to be the means by which he communicates Christ to us and his generous benefits to us as his believers. And so we understand the means that way. We understand that they are meant to be at the center of what we do and who we are as a church as Bethel ARP. If we want to be centered in Christ and be for Christ, then we should be a means of grace church. Because at the center of our faith, at the center of our life as Christians in the church is Christ. And at the center of how we live out our faith in Christ as his people individually and collectively as a church are these means of grace. So it's meant to be something we know and understand and we live by. So this morning, we're going to look at the first means of grace of God's word. That God in his graciousness has given to us his word contain the Old New Testament to communicate Christ to us and to communicate Christ's gracious benefit to us as his people. So we will use Romans 10, 17 to help us be guided along in our understanding of that this morning through the Holy Spirit. So join me now as we pray for the work of God in our time together. So let's pray together. We pray to you, our good and uh, heavenly uh, God and Father. We, we pray that you would, again, forgive us of all of our, of our sins. And he would send to us your Holy Spirit, so he may illuminate to us, we may have the true understanding of your Holy Word. Give us the grace that we need, so we may handle your Word as we ought to. We may handle it faithfully, for your glory, for the good of the church, and for the good of our salvation. We ask these things now in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans 10, 17, and let us stand together now for a reading of God's word. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Once you think through your, your, your house, through your home, through your life. And once you think of those things that you consider to be your most prized possession, that if your house were on fire, or there was a tornado coming, you had, you had to get out of your house, what would be that, that one thing you'd make sure you go back for? What would you make sure you would, you would get out before your, your, your home would be destroyed? For me, that's an easy, easy answer. Of course, I mean, I think we'd all say, let's get our family out. We're not talking about 
flesh and blood. We're talking about possessions. But uh, one of my most prized possessions is a letter. It's a letter Beth wrote me at the beginning of our dating relationship. We, of course, we were both students at Winthrop University. We had met through the campus ministry RUF, and we started off as friends. It didn't take me long to realize though, that she was different. She was, she was special. And so it took me a while, but I finally built up my nerve to ask her out on a date. And she very politely told me uh, no um, uh, in a, her very sweet, polite way. Uh, and so it took me about two months of, of, of pursuing her to convince her to go on a date with me. And so finally I succeeded, wore her down, and we went on a few dates, and I was even more convinced of how special she was. And I thought, okay, I think she likes me too. And so very popular at that time was what we called the DTR, uh, Define a Relationship Talk. So I, said, I, need to ha- I need to have the DTR with her. So... I decided to have this talk with her on the night that our fall break started. So I took her out to dinner, and we went for a walk around the neighborhoods around uh, Winthrop, and I was trying to build up my nerve to, to tell her how much I liked her, how special I thought she was. I was trying to build up my nerve to tell her how I felt. But it took me a while. And so by the time I, I built up my nerve and told her, and she received it well, it was pretty late getting her back to her dorm. And dropping her off, she told me that she was only going to get a few hours of sleep because she was going to have to wake up at 5 o'clock to drive to Spartanburg to meet with her mom so they could drive back to Greenville or on to Greenville so they could get on a plane and fly to upstate New York to go visit her brother during fall break because he was living and working in upstate New York. So by the time I dropped her off, it was late and she was only going to get a few hours of sleep. Now fast forward a couple days later, and I come home, and I have a card in the mail. And I open it up, and it's a Curious George card. And I didn't recognize the handwriting, but in it were three pages, three to four pages, handwritten front and back, a letter from Beth. And as I read it, I realized that this three to four page letter, written front and back, she had written after I had dropped her off that night. She had given up even more sleep so she could write this letter to me. And so I I prize that letter because of what it means to me, what it means to our relationship. So if our house were to catch on fire, Lord forbid, I make sure my family was out, but I know exactly the box in the closet where that letter is. And I would run back in and try to get it. What is it that you prize? What is it that you would hold on to, something you want to hold on to for the rest of your life? When our passage this morning, Paul tells us that as a Christian, we all have a prized possession. We all have something that should be eternally important to us. And that is the Word of God. Faith that comes from the Word of God. So as followers of Jesus Christ, one of our most prized eternal possessions is the Bible. Now, it may be your family Bible, it may be the Bible you were given when you joined the church or whatever, but, but overall speaking, it is God's Word to us because of what God's Word does. As Paul tells us in this passage this morning, faith comes from hearing 
and hearing from the word of Christ. So which means if you are a Christian, then you have faith. And faith is that prized possession because of what it means to us. Because think about what, about what we know about ourselves, what we know about our faith. That at some point in our lives, the holy and sovereign God plainly shows you your sins and your sinfulness. And showed to you the eternal price to be paid for these. He showed you who you are and he showed you the reality of hell. And that hell then is your reality. But then he called you. He called you to be his child by showing you irresistible grace. And that's one of those things we get wrong. We think that that God kind of grabs us by the ankle and drags us kicking and screaming into the faith. That's not what irresistible grace means. What it means is God sends to us his spirit. And he makes the case so clear to us that we know there's no other option than to follow after Jesus Christ. He makes, he makes the argument in case so clear to us, we go, well, there's no other option. I have to follow Jesus. When we behold the beauty and the love and the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, then it's a no-brainer. I will follow after his Jesus. I will place my faith in the one who loves me so much. So we have this faith in the triumph God that he has entrusted to us. This faith in who Jesus is and, and the faith in what he has done for me. Faith in the love of the Father known through the Son and ministered to us by the Holy Spirit. Faith that the triumph God is meant to be our everything because he is everything. So faith is a prized possession to us. Because it's only through faith that we are enabled to know and love and follow God. That we are to know our eternal destiny, to know that all things are being worked together for good by the God who is always at work in our lives. So faith is a prized possession to us. But what does Paul tell us? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Just as precious to us is our faith, is the means by which this faith has been communicated to us, this means of grace of God's word. Last Sunday I alluded to the temptation there are for Christians that we, we want something more mystical, more mysterious to the faith. We, don't, we sometimes don't like the, the ordinary, mundane nature of the faith. So we, we want something mystical, we want something mysterious we said last week, I, I, I placed it in the context of prayer. It's not that we just pray in faith, but we, we, we pray and we're seeking for answers, right? We want a, a big thumbs up from God in heaven we see or his voice to get out, right? We, we start making up these stories and tales about when we see such and such a thing that we know that God has answered our prayers. We want something so myster- mystical and, and mysterious. And we, we want that to happen to, so it can confirm our faith, to, to bolster our faith, to, to grow our faith. That's why around the world, like, you know, somebody will see a, an image of Jesus in, in a tree and, and people will flock to it, right? Because they're looking for something mystical, mysterious. There's a, there's a statue that, 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 that you know, it's crying blood. People flock to it because they want something mysterious and mystical. And yet when we come to what God says, that's exactly what we don't find. 
We find something very ordinary, very mundane, very boring to us. And faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of Christ. Remember in, in, in seminary, I may have shared this with y'all before, one of our classes we had to share our testimony. Remember a, a guy, one of my classmates standing up and he says, my testimony is really simple. I was born to a Christian family. I was raised in a church. I can't remember ever a day in my life where I didn't trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I went to college, met my, my wife there, and now we're here. And then because I'm sorry, my testimony is so boring. My seminary professor, Dr. Culberson, you know, chastising him very, very graciously and saying, that's, that's not boring. That's exactly what every testimony we would love. We would love to hear the sort of testimonies. But the testimonies that people want to hear are those testimonies of, of, of when someone's saved. And it's this very fantastical tale, right? They were, they were the hell's angels and they killed a hundred people. And, and, and all the FBI and the CIA and other unnamed agencies were after them. And, and they were getting ready to fly off of a cliff. And yet the hand of God came down and plucked them up and saved them. And then they go around and, they, and they're speaking all these crusades and, and telling their fantastical stories, right? And people pay money and they come flocking to hear about the former hell's angel who was doped up on cocaine and came to God and so on and so forth, right? But at the core of every testimony is the same boring story. God, through his word, called that person to faith. Doesn't matter if you're a covenant child, baptized right here, you are called to faith through the word of Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a hell's angel or what have you, some fantastical tale. You were called to faith through the word of Christ. That's why this is a means of grace. It's the word of Christ that brings us to Christ for the first time. And it's the word of Christ that brings us to Christ every time after that. So I find the gospel of Jesus teaches that scriptures are the primary and indispensable means of salvation. Therefore, the preaching of God's word was central to the ministry of the apostles. They placed the highest value on the word of God as the means of salvation and sanctification of believers. Why? Because it's the word of Christ that always points us to Christ himself. And that's why it's essential Every Christian church, including Bethel B, Bethel B, Bethel ARP, that we would be a word-centered church. A faithful church to Christ is a church that will preach his word, will teach his word, will sing his word, will pray his word, will see the word in the signs of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Is a church that lives out the word of Christ. It's just that simple. We are called to be a word-centered people and a word-centered church. There's a story about a famous pastor from the mid-20th century in England, Martin Lloyd-Jones. The story is told at the beginning of his ministry in South Wales. First thing he did was to come into a church with hammers and nails. And he hammered the pulpit to the floor to show the centrality of the word to the church and to the faith. 
He was saying very literally to them, we are going to be a word-centered people and a word-centered church, as every Christian church and every Christian should be. As we said before, we said last week, that's shown in the architecture of this church. That what's front and center, what's meant to, to draw your eye is the pulpit where the word is preached. Why? Because of what Paul says, it is the word of Christ. It is central to the church. It is central to our faith. Once you take away the word, then we become uncentered and we start to fall away as a people and as a church. We are meant to be a word-centered church. Now there's some, some interesting language Paul is using here. Because often we refer to the, to the Bible as the word of God. Open your copy of God's word. And we, of course, that's, that's true because we think of 2 Timothy 3.16, right? All scripture is breathed out by God. So God is the divine author of the Bible. But who is the Bible about? It's about Jesus. It's the word of God sharing with us the word of Christ. It's all about Jesus from beginning to end. The story of creation. We read it in Colossians 1, and, or, sorry, in Genesis 1 and 2, we read it alongside, alongside Colossians 1.16. It says, For by him all things were created. We see that even the creation story is meant to point us to Jesus. He is both the agent and the goal of creation. We go to Genesis 3.15. And the promise of the seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of Satan. Then we read in 1 John 3.8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So in the first three chapters, we have the gospel. Jesus, the agent and goal of the creation, and the one who would come to destroy the works of Satan. And we keep going through the Old Testament, and we see how it keeps pointing us back to Christ. That God would not destroy the world again through a flood. Why? Because he's going to send his son to redeem even creation itself. The prophets who, who point to Jesus, the tabernacle, the place where God resided. And John says in his open prologue that Jesus came to tabernacle with his people. That the incarnate God came to be with his people. So even the tabernacle and, and, and the temple and all that was involved with that pointed us to Jesus. All these signs and shadows of Jesus throughout every part of the Old Testament. It is the word of Christ. As Augustine said, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. And of course, we come to the New Testament, and Jesus explodes off of every page for us. This is truly the word of Christ, given by the divine author to point us to the divine Savior. And this is why it's a means of grace for us. It's the word of grace. It's the word of Christ, the means of grace, which points us to grace itself. We've talked before how John introduces Jesus in the opening prologue to the gospel, where he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. As we've explained before, this description of Jesus being full of grace doesn't mean he was a an empty glass that, that, that the Father didn't fill with grace. This is John's way of saying that Jesus is grace. He is the person of grace. He is the grace of God incarnate. 
So to know Jesus Christ is to know grace. To know grace is to know Jesus Christ. And how do we know this Christ? How do we know this one who is grace? We do, we know him through the means of the grace of the word of God. That points us to Jesus in such a way that Paul says, this word of God is the word of Christ. And that's why the Bible is meant to be central to our faith and to the church. It's just that simple. All of the Bible points us to Jesus. It's the means of grace that points us to the person of grace. We may be saved by grace and faith and live a life of faith and grace. So central to us, to us as a people and as a church, is this means of grace that God has given to us. Like I believe billions of people did this past week. I tuned in to parts of the Queen's funeral. I don't know if you, how you got a chance to watch it, but it was a beautiful service, scriptural, and Christ-focused. And I was encouraged to hear that she had what turned out to be a wonderfully simple faith. She read the Bible. She believed it. So she believed Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Matter of fact, part of what was testified about her faith is that she read her Bible daily. Central to her faith was this word of Christ that showed in her life, so much so that it was testified at her death. The grace testimony that can be given to us as a people and as a church is that we are a people and a church that majors on the word of God. That our main concern isn't about what program or what production we can put on to bring people in. Rather, we are a people who love the word, who preach it, who teach it, who sing it, who pray it, who live by it. Because when, it, when we do that, it means that we are a people who love Jesus and his word and it shows in everything we do. Our worship, the sermons, Sunday school lessons, Bible studies, whatever is done here is centered on the word of God. And when we as a church are word-centered, then that will help all of us to align our faith to be word-centered. The word will call us to faith, and the word will keep us centered on Christ and our faith. Question number 65 in the Heidelberg Catechism asks this question. Since we are made partakers of Christ and all of the benefits by faith only, where does this faith come from? The answer is, the Holy Spirit. He works it in our hearts by the preaching of the word and confirms it by the use of the holy sacraments. Nothing mystical, nothing mysterious about this. It's very simple. To be a Christian and to be a Christian church means it is, this is the center of us. This is the focus of our faith. And we can only be a Christian and live as a Christian. We are a people and a church of the word. And we are getting ready to come out this morning. I was told that David Williams said every good sermon is 22 minutes. And this one is 23 minutes. I'm one minute over being a good sermon. So let me close this now in prayer.